This podcast was recorded remotely. There are spoilers ahead for the TV show Succession, and due to the nature of that show and my dad's potty mouth, adult language throughout. Check the podcast description for time codes for spoiler-free goodness. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Succession Season 3 Episode 7, Too Much Birthday. Unlike Lucas Maxton at a Waystar meeting, my co-host has turned up, Grace has got her nails done, Neil has had his arsehole whitened, and they're here. Hello, Grace. Hello. <laughs> well, I got dig the size of a sequoia, and I fucked like a bullet train. Prove it. No, no, what? really, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's a good job you can't see anything, listeners. <laughs> well... I love this episode. It was full of brilliant callbacks and setups, but there is one thing that I feel like we need to address right at the very top. Yeah. And that is an apology to Neil, who called out last week that Tom Wamsgam was due for a flip out and Grace and I poo-pooed it. We couldn't see it coming and you were absolutely right, spot on. So well done, Neil. Well, not only was I glad I was right, as I normally am, but I also love the flip out. It was such amazing viewing. You got your flip. I think I was just convinced he was going to prison, so it hadn't entered my head, but of course, with that cork being popped out of the bottle, it was incredible. Um, so once he finds out that they're not going to prison, the DOJ are happy with Waystar, he goes into Greg's office. I loved how Greg was so nervous when Tom approached. <laughs> did he come in with a ho, 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 or was it just yeah. <laughs> I mean, he really did release that bullet train. It was just spectacular to watch. But also, I, I've already kind of quoted that little exchange of three lines about him talking about the size of his dick and how much he fucks. Greg suddenly going, prove it. And Tom going, what? Like, I thought that was such an amazing moment within their relationship. Like, Greg was slightly standing up for himself. It was a little bit like the bullied kid in the playground getting asked for his lunch money and him going, no, what are you going to do about it? I thought it was masterful. I thought it was a brilliant moment. I want to talk about Greg a little bit in contrast to Tom's flip out in a second. But just whilst we're talking about Tom flipping the desk over, what I loved most about this are two things. One of him saying, I may have got a little carried away. (laughs) (laughs) So immediate rowback. But the best bit for me was just the look afterwards as he leaves the room that said, we've shared something that nobody else has. We've gone through this together this threat of prison over our heads. And now we're going to be okay. Although Tom bullies Greg, it made me feel a bit warmer about their relationship. They've called themselves the Waystar 2. It's just lovely. I think it was just a classic example, wasn't it, of Tom, the complete head fuck by which he treats Greg, which is a kiss on one cheek and then a slap round the face the next moment and then back again it was just constant yo-yoing but the thing I love most about it is you know when you're watching those moments on telly and I suddenly thought that's Matthew McFadden getting to do that he looked like he was having a great time and that was just so so enjoyable see I disagree Adam it actually reminds me of a scene in Macbeth where Macbeth says, we are yet but young indeed, and indeed, not indeed. And I actually think that Greg and Tom have in some ways got closer, but not in a positive way, not in a healthy way. I think where they're at and what they've gone through is actually tied them in some kind of bond that they're not going to escape. Either of them, I don't think... Tom is as happy about it as Greg is. I, I think they've ended up almost handcuffed to each other. They're both outsiders, aren't they, in a way? Yeah. It's on the periphery of the family. It is a bizarre relationship. Any of these moments of, I guess you could say, joy or happiness that these people have is very short-lived. And so even though we're enjoying this little hiatus in terms of terminal Tom, I never think it's going to last long. I mean, it's incredibly short-lived for Tom in that he goes to the party with the aim of getting fucked up and ends up taking the wrong drugs in the wrong order and having a a (laughs) miserable time. 
and then being upset with Greg because Greg's happier than he is. And maybe it's a good point to move on to Greg's successes. Everyone is telling him, you're out of your depth, you're not capable. And the fact that Greg did get this lady's number, I mean, whether she's actually interested in him or not. He's chasing Comfrey, who is Kendall's <laughs> PR assistant and helping to organise this party. I think she does a wonderful job in this episode. There's some scenes where she's just walking around on her phone all the time and barely aware of what's going on around her. Greg has these lovely moments of trying to court her. She comes out and says, well, actually, I've got to go to the press. And he's like, the whole press? And basically runs a smear campaign on you. He goes all hokey. He goes full Southern Belle, which <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> adored. I think he's quite old-fashioned now, Greg. He's quite like an old romantic. I think it's really lovely to see that come out in his Southern Belle impression. Greg just always, within 10 minutes, he swung from hopeful to being bullied back to hopeful. He swings constantly. It must be absolutely exhausting for him. I mean, if we look at the what I must have been the worst escalator ride in history with Kendall, <laughs> starting at the top of the escalator, super excited about asking Chirpson on a lady, Going down the escalator ends up being called a human tapeworm. Stop feeding on your fucking family. He also calls him the snitch bitch and the world's biggest parasite. Kendall is vile to Greg. Tom said earlier, you said she's out of your league. Tom said it's like a scarecrow asking out Jackie Anassis. What I love though, and I really do think we're going to get the tapeworm that turns. In the same way I predicted Tom's flip out, I'm going to predict Greg rising in power and strength and standing up to every single one of them. And I thought it was very interesting that after a lot of this had happened, Greg attacks Kendall's photo and he first goes for the crotch and then he goes for the nipples. What I loved about this, he's attacking an LCD screen with Kendall's <laughs> image on it, but he's only attacking it in so much that it disrupts the image. He's not going to break it. <laughs> I would, we would Con never. Contrasting this with Tom's flip out, Greg's flip out is just shaking this LCD screen so that temporarily the image is disrupted. You know how Neil got some brownie points for predicting the flip? I think I need brownie points for predicting that our Greg was going to get a love interest. Yeah, brownie points duly awarded. Thank you. What an amazing journey and plot for Greg is that his love interest is going to try and take him to court and use him to take down Logan whilst also taking down him. The whole setup for that potential romance relationship, there's so much gold to be mined there. He gets his way because he points out that Kendall has told him that he can't date Comfrey. She's so pissed yeah. off at Kendall. So she accepts the dates in a way to snub Kendall. It really didn't feel like it was love at first sight. It's not going to end well, is it? If a man calls me an even-handed maiden, that works every time. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they'll become a, a power couple. That's well, I can't, I can't wait for their first date. I just wanted to circle back a little bit on that announcement that the Department of Justice are happy with Waystar and that it's going to be a number that they're going to have to pay it. But they like that Waystar have been complying with everything and they're just going to put it down to some old boys back in the day not being great. Um, Absolutely. Some naughty men did some bad things. Kendall overreacted. He was fucking his assistant. That's normal. It's not a crisis. We've had a vibration, was yeah. the words, as to uh, what the Department of Justice was going to do. And the toast, here's to justice. Mm. To us and to justice. So them first and then justice. <laughs> yeah. The thing I wanted to pull out was just that Logan telling Tom, I'll remember. That was really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and I'd be like, in a good way? I think Logan does remember everything, but as you say, it, it doesn't necessarily work to everyone's benefits. He'll use it as he needs to. I hope it brings Tom some good at some point in the future. This is reminding me, so after that, we didn't see Logan again. And one of the things I loved about this episode was it was all about the siblings. Logan is fantastic, obviously, but it was really nice for him to literally not be in the room and see all the siblings interact. We've said this before, when you get them all in a room together or you get them in a scenario together, it's just gold. I agree. The siblings without any supervision is my all-time favourite thing in succession. So this was 
amazing. They went on a journey as well, didn't they? They went from warm welcomes to some pretty cold goodbyes at the end of the party. That last 10 minutes, and I know we'll talk about it in a bit, was pretty unpleasant to watch the way they fall apart from each other slowly at this unbearably awful party is just quite tricky to watch I'd say I watched a lot of it through my hands actually I mean literally their entrance to the party the fact that all of them entered through this inflatable vagina which was acknowledged as their mother's vagina and then you've got Tom at the back there just touching the walls of this (laughs) vagina honestly yeah Again, absolutely loved it. You have been born into the world of Kendall Roy. I don't want it. I turn back around and walk back up the vagina immediately. But come on, that would have been some party to go to, right? If you had your invite, you, Elon, Jeff, Kendall, would you want to go? Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely turn up. I might hang out in the treehouse. And... You have such a treehouse energy. You won Kendall's treehouse. I mean, the thing is, the whole party was so desperate. The amount of photos of him all around the place, fake newspaper headings, and then his playhouse. He's reconstructed what he had as a kid. It's just so, so desperate. I mean, it's not strange at a 40th birthday party to have photos of the guest of honour around, but it's normally organised by their friends. I think, Grace, you'd just be taking constant turns through the compliment tunnel, right? (laughs) Yes. Indeed. I'm surprised Roman ever left his mother's vagina. Well, Kendall does tell Roman that he can take the vagina home with him at the end. <laughs> I enjoyed the line when Roman comes through it. He's quite upset by the whole thing, isn't he? And he's a bit wide. Tighten my mum's vagina. <laughs> when Kendall wouldn't let them in initially, like he wouldn't let Shiv and Roman enter his treehouse. Obviously, Roman then does push his way in. But if we look at Kendall, you know, he started off the episode, there was no one he wanted there more than his siblings. And yes... They can take bites out of each other. That's what they do. But he seemed genuinely touched that they'd come, giving them Mm. all a hug, greeting them. And then he gets that letter and the whole episode pivots. And any of that warmth and any of that love, even the smallest amount, is just dissipated after that. It was quite heartbreaking, really. Yeah, I think it was the card and also finding out that Roman and Shiv had been asking where Matson was at yeah. the party and Kendall working out that they were here to close a business deal rather than being yeah. here for his birthday. And that's why he stops them going in the treehouse because he knows that Matson's up there. The journey is lovely, as you say. There were, there were hugs, the whole front page mock-ups, Roman dying, wanking, Shiv uh, <laughs> getting arrested and the crap sack Connor piece calling back to when Connor shit his sleeping bag in a camping incident. And then it gets very, very dark for them. Let's park the darkness for a little bit later on. Yes, please. The way Kendall exercised the state he was in, both from Logan's letter and from his siblings' behaviour, is that he puts all of that anxiety and that need onto trying to find his kid's presence. He's almost like Godzilla going through all these different wrapped up boxes. I mean, yeah, he went into a big anxiety spiral. Yeah. He was concentrating on all the tiniest things. The temperature, Connor's coat which is one of the best narrative arcs of this episode, his children's present. It's a classic anxiety spiral of just focusing on these little details because you can't process the big stuff right now. And I thought Jeremy Strong was just outstanding in displaying that. But yeah, him sat in the gifts at the end, all absolutely worthless to him. Oh, and the moment he gets the watch from Nate is just fist in mouth awful. I mean, there's a few things from that. He learns from Rava, his ex-wife, that the kids have made a present for him. So they've done something for his birthday. Somebody else, not employed by him, has done something for his birthday. That's not a card saying cash out and fuck off. Yeah. They're the only people who've done something for his birthday and he can't find the present that, by the way, is wrapped up in rabbit wrapping paper. How is the rabbit? Do we know how the rabbit's doing? Pretty sure we know the rabbit is dead. It means so much to him to find this present and obviously he's not going to be able to find it. But with Nay's gift, I think for Nay, she has two dilemmas. One before the episode starts. What do you get the man who has everything? Mm. And then the second dilemma is at the end of the episode. And what do you do with the man who has lost everything? I mean, he's just got nothing left and she's cradling him. It's quite unusual that he didn't go through with his performance. 
L to the OG, lest we forget, iconic rap. <laughs> and I was trying to work out exactly why he suddenly didn't need it or wasn't seeking that ego boost or maybe he felt like nothing was worth it anymore. It was dangerous, wasn't it? The guy was pointing out how dangerous this thing was. He was going up in a harness. He was supposed to descend in a tuxedo on a crucifix, (laughs) singing (laughs) Billy Joel's Honesty, Karaoke Ken. This was going to be the highlight of Ken Fest. And then the tiny Wu-Tang Clan were meant to come (laughs) (laughs) This tiny Wu-Tang Clan, I don't quite understand. These were a group of kids doing covers of the Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, I'm gutted <laughs> we didn't get to see it, but as Kendall says, they've got it all ahead of them, so. Oh, <laughs> season four with the watch. I also read in the not known to her, but that watch symbolised that the clock's ticking, and particularly with the themes of succession. The clock is ticking down on Logan's life, The clock is ticking down on Kendall's future, I guess. He doesn't have a lot of time to succeed. I thought it was a real reminder that things are moving quickly. You know, when he was in the presence and he said, I just want to go home. I sort of read that as I just want it. I just want to go back. I just want to make it as it was. Well, a very wise woman once said, if you can turn back time. And I think that's what... Kendall would love. I read it as I wish I was dead. Mm. He breaks down and cries and then he says I wish I was home and you get him again right at the end of the episode looking over the balcony he could quite easily throw himself over at the end. Yeah. Before he snuggles up in his A-team duvet. That final looking over the balcony really reminded me of that episode in season two. Do you remember when that disgruntled Waystar employee shoots themselves in the office and Kendall is shown on the top of the building looking down in the same way and then the final shot of that episode he's back on the top of the building but Waystar have put these glass walls up so no one can jump and he presses his forehead against the glass wall and it just was such a clever reminder of that shot for us that he's still got those thoughts in his head pretty bleak for Kendall I just want to look back to the card that Mm. Logan gives to Roman to give to Kendall at the party he's crossed out happy birthday inside and written cash out and fuck off and there's a share purchase option inside so they're offering to buy Kendall out of his shares of the company and Nay asks him you know how much is that? And I'm pretty sure he says two bill. He does say two bill, yeah. Kendall thinks this is mind games from Logan and Nay suggests, well, what maybe actually if you took it, you kind of just feel like, yes, do that. Do that, Kendall. That's the thing you should do. Take the money and go and be happy. But also Shiv is not aware of this. This is something that Logan and Roman have done together. And that's what I wanted to talk about next is Shiv being left out in the cold more and more and more by... Roman and Logan. Well, Shiv was dancing like a sugar plum failure, in Roman's words, which is another line I absolutely loved. I feel like Roman is completely isolating himself deliberately from all of his siblings. When he said, when he was talking to Logan, hey, Dad, I'm the only child you'll ever need. You can kill the others. The way his mindset is at the moment, I think he can potentially do some very drastic things. Shiv just seems to have different priorities. I think basically from what I got from this episode, I was like, oh, Shiv and Roman are the last two in the running. Their odds have drastically increased in terms of becoming CEO. And so they're turning on each other, bickering between them. And it's obviously peaked substantially this episode. But it feels like Shiv has got much more of a big picture going to not have the systemic issues, ensure lessons are learnt, and Roman's much more, let's keep it as it is, but do the detailed stuff. And they're just coming at it from very different ways, and Shiv's just getting iced out here. Well, all the men got together at men's club. That speech from Roman made me feel honestly sick. It was awful. Shiv might be trying to discover what the big picture is, but I don't think she's got any idea what the big picture is. You know, when you were talking about the sugar plum failure, I absolutely loved lines when Shiv was dancing and they were, him and Comfrey were talking about whether she'd taken any drugs. And Greg said, I don't think she has. I think she's just getting the demon out. And I thought that was so astute by Greg. I did have a lot of sympathy for Shiv in this episode. She's been left out in the cold. Tom's not going to prison. And she can't even 
have a boogie without being criticised and called names and she can't let the demons out and let her hair down a bit. The peak of it all is this dance for daddy conversation with Roman. I think Roman has a line, something along the lines of, daddy still likes fucking me, he doesn't like fucking you. It's just vile and horrible. I wonder whether this is Roman reaching out to Shiv to see, you know, looking for a reaction. Is this yeah. something that happened to you as well as me? or not. Quite often we can excuse Roman for being crude and out there because he is so constantly and occasionally I think there's other methods to what he's trying to say. What that makes me think of is all behaviour is communication. Roman is trying to communicate because to be honest he's so alone. He really is. Well I guess all of them are actually. They're all really, really lonely. They all feel particularly even more lonely at the moment. They're all separated from each other. I just picked out from Roman, you thought it was ladies' night and they were playing your song. But all the men got together in the club and we decided, sweetheart, everything's fine. And then he shushes her. I feel like Shiv's face in that moment could not believe what she was hearing. And I know the siblings say terrible things to each other, but I feel like Shiv has probably all her life felt like this. We talked before about how she's trying to fit into this male world, trying to do what her dad asks her to, always not quite getting it right. And Adam, you said before, you don't think he'd ever give it to her because she's his daughter. And I think that's true. And I think she knows that deep down. And to have her brother sit there and say this to her face was just really horrible to watch. Pretty brutal. Horrible, brutal, but honest. Yeah, but come on. <laughs> I'm not justifying it, but that's what makes it so brutal and horrific is that it is, there's a lot of honesty in all of these barbs that each of them make towards each other. Me and my housemate kept being like, oh my God, we just thought someone was going to hit someone. I thought Shiv was going to slap Roman. Well, Roman obviously pushes Kendall to the ground by accident, we assume. I thought Kendall was going to punch Connor. Like it was so on a knife edge that last seven minutes. I've got a couple of moments that I think pick up on quite a few of the things that we talked about. It's inevitable with this sort of episode where there are so many setups and callbacks. Rava reveals that Kendall's kids are being spied on, that the nanny is being harassed by Waystar goons. We find out that Shiv didn't know about this, but Roman did. Again, like Shiv being kept out in the cold and not knowing about stuff. Her talking about doing things the right way and learning those lessons. And they're clearly not. They're still doing reprehensible things. But that moment as they leave, as Ken's leaving, he tries to get Roman and Shiv kicked out. They had those hugs at the beginning. He tells Roman that he's not a real person. And then shortly after that, Roman pushes him over, which I felt linked to the whole... There was a lot of stuff about touching Roman, wasn't there? There was Kendall moves him out of the way. He's like, oh, I'm being moved, I'm being moved. And then he gets past the security of the treehouse by accusing them of groping him. And then at the end of the episode, Roman pushes... I don't think it's done particularly well or very clear, but I think he does intentionally push Kendall mm -hmm. over. When Kendall learns about them spying on his kids, I think that has a big impact. The fact that Shiv doesn't know that as well is, is a shock to her in that moment, that they're not changing. When it comes to Roman, how protective he is of Logan. And I thought the conversation he had with Matson, both in the treehouse and in the treehouse toilet, was really interesting. When Luke, played by the amazing Alexander Skarsgård, who I think is fantastic. But when Matson says to him, Look, just be honest, when's your father going to die? Is it less than a year or is it five years? Because five years is a pretty long time. Obviously, Roman can't really answer that, but that is the brutality of this world. And in fairness, it's also the brutality of the whole story in the sense that succession is about who takes over when Logan dies. And from the stroke right from series one, this has always been about when will he die and who will inherit the earth? I feel like in Roman's dream scenario, him and Logan are at the top together. I don't think he's quite thought through the fact that if he gets CEO, it could mean that his dad has died. In yeah. his head, he's... He's buddying up with his dad and they're taking on the tech world together. The deal that he strikes, he says that they're going to stop this streaming platform. Yeah, so I enjoy how Succession makes us catch up sometimes. I either didn't know or hadn't remembered what Gojo was. But Gojo is Matson's app, which mm. is very successful. 
the Waystar app, Stargo, is a piece of shit. And Roman suggests that they stream piss on the Waystar Stargo streaming platform. It's so long to load. It takes them 30 seconds to get into the toilets. Matson then pees on it and it still hasn't loaded up the app. <laughs> I mean, I'm wondering, because Logan says in the first moment, I don't want to overpay. I'm wondering if Roman has possibly overpromised here. I enjoyed Alex Sarsgaard in this as Matson. It was a very, very quirky character. Kendall uses the brilliant analogy of he's sitting there on his own in the treehouse. You haven't figured out the socials. Get your algo guy to fix your code. And then he asks Matson what he wants and he says, privacy, pussy and pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good night to me. <laughs> No wonder he gets on well with Roman. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Do we want to talk about Connor's coat and Connor in general? (laughs) The thing I love is there isn't actually really much to say. Every time someone asks him to take off his coat, I just burst out laughing. Especially after that incredibly tense final 10 minutes where I just felt really sick. And then Kendall sees Connor and it's just like, take your coat off. (laughs) So good. (laughs) But the news we get is that he's polling close to 1%, which doesn't sound like very much, but it's 4 million people. Jed Bartlett had to start somewhere, right? (laughs) For Connor, everything's going the way he wants it. I enjoyed the backup party plans of getting Springsteen in or a jetpack for Kendall to leave with. And the fact that Comfrey had been asked to get retro 80s lunchbox and she's now got a flat full of He-Man lunchboxes. I think the writers have an absolute blast with all succession, but I feel like this episode, they really got to let loose and have a good time. So let's move on to who's going to be CEO by the end of next episode. I'm still out in, in the lead now with eight points. I mean, you're both on two, although all of my points are up for grabs if somebody else becomes CEO by the end of the whole thing. Didn't I stick safe with Jerry last time? Oh, sorry, you did. Neil, you did. Absolutely right. So yeah. you are now on four points ahead of Grace on two. I've lost track of who... I think it was me who went first last time, so it must be Grace's turn to go first. Mm. I mean, I've lost the will to live over here, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I keep guessing Roman, but I feel like, actually, I think maybe he might have fucked up a little bit this episode. I've got a feeling in my stomach, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Jerry. Oh, Neil, now's the perfect time to go for Roman, I think. Yeah, do it, Neil, do it. It's always the perfect time to go for Roman. Therefore, <laughs> I'm going to go for Roman. Very good. Favourite line of the episode? Well, I have an exchange that I adore and a line, so I'm going to say both because I can. When Shiv asks Kendall who's here and he says who isn't, and then the siblings, one after the other, go, your dad, your mum, your wife and kids. <laughs> and any real friends. And then I just want to give a little shout out to Romans, to Frank, the wind in your hair. (laughs) Very good. Neil? Again, it's an exchange and I opened with it and I'll close with it. I've got a dick the size of a sequoia and I fucked like a bullet train. Prove it. What? (laughs) Loved it. So you both picked my top two. So I'm going to have to go with, haven't figured out the socials. You need to get your algo guy to fix your code. Oh, it's so good. I'm more and more confident that we're not going to really get anything on Connor's campaign in the next two episodes. I think it's going to be very much the next series. What can tie up this? I guess there needs to be some kind of not finish to Kendall's storyline, but the ground has to shift again. I think the end of this series, everything will suddenly shift. There's a director at the RSC when I was really, really young and wanting to be an actor, Ian Judge, who he did amazing production of Shakespeare. In Act 5, the choreography of the characters on stage, they would all suddenly move around as if to find a new viewpoint or to discover, oh my God, everything's changed. And I thought as a kind of physical bit of directing, that was really, really clever. Because as an audience member, you suddenly saw everybody was seeing things from different angles. And I think in its own way, I think the last episode will be everything will shift. I think that's a great hope. I'm sure it's going to end with a bang. Maybe Roman's mum's wedding, we will see some of that. Who knows? Very much look forward to the final two episodes of Succession. And the other news that we've got 
is that our dear friend Damien Cooper is going to be joining us for the next episode. Hopefully, fingers crossed, Damien is now caught up on succession. So hopefully we can find a time to include him in the podcast next week as well, which will be amazing. So what else have we been watching this week? I have finished The Leftovers. So 28 episodes, three seasons. I can highly recommend this. It was just brilliant. Seventh on the BBC's culture list. It packs an emotional wallop, the time and investment in beautiful storytelling, in complex characters. There's really enjoyable mystery and intrigue. It's ambitious. It's really well conceived. It's very funny. I was just hugely satisfied by the ending of it all. If you have never seen The Leftovers, I would strongly recommend it. It was a real joy to see Tammy Rose from The Walking Dead popping up amongst other brilliant performances throughout the whole show. I'm really, really glad that I spent the time watching that. Well, Leftovers are always very satisfying and comforting. And yeah, you convinced me to give it a watch. Me too. Where can you watch it, Adam? Where can I watch it? It's available on Now TV. I've almost finished May, which I've talked about a little bit, so I won't go into that too much. And I finished Bake Off, and I was very moved. Did you get a soggy bottom? <laughs> Again, it was a satisfying finale, I thought. It's always a bit frustrating when all of the bakes go really, really well in the finale, and there was one that was a little bit disastrous. But I thought the winner was a very worthy winner, and they had a good story. Yeah. Um, it was classic Bake Off, really, and I was here for it. It was lovely. It's just that perfect thing to watch when it's cold outside and you're in bed on, like, a Sunday afternoon and out of children, so, you know, <laughs> lucky me. <laughs> and I get to do that. Well, I watched the finale with Phoebe, and, and actually Otis stayed up with us as well, and Otis was talking about Seppi and wanting Seppi to win. And then Phoebe pointed out that the one who kissed the spatula offered by Noel, did actually win. There you go. The power of the spatula. I've managed to do all of that without giving any spoilers away as to who, who won it. Look at us. We can do it. That's literally it. It's that's Bake Off and Succession. So <laughs> that's me. Neil, what have you been watching? Two episodes ago, I mentioned Cowboy Bebop, which I've only had a chance to watch the first episode, but I have. And I fucking love it. I thought it was brilliant. But it's a kind of cross between sci-fi, Tarantino, Marvel. I mean, pretty much everything I loved was involved. The opening was very Pulp Fiction. I was literally waiting for any of you fucking pricks move and I'll execute every fucking motherfucking last one of you. It's so well done in the fights and the energy and the cinema photography. There's points that remind me very much of Guardians of the Galaxy in how it's shot and how it looks. Production values and the humour are both just top notch. I think if you're even close to liking any of the genres or films or directors that I've mentioned. You're absolutely going to love it. Also, nods to Archer, the soundtrack and the music with the opening titles and, and the music behind. It focuses on a humble bounty hunter, Mom, the character of Spike. I've got more to say, but I'll let that be part of a conversation because I know Adam's also watched it. Yeah, there's so many different genres that mixed in with this. It's part Western, it's part sci-fi, it's part Kung Fu. There's elements of the 70s black exploitation films. There's noir in there. But the sum of the parts is greater. No, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Is that how that works? <laughs> it all fits together and the result is it's eye-bleedingly cool. Really great chemistry between John Cho and Mustafa Shakir. It's huge amounts of fun. The general setup, certainly for the first episode, is very much about a vigilante with a mysterious history. And I guess that's what we're going to be getting over this season is finding out more about Spike and about the syndicate. Although it is set in space, pretty much, there's a real South American feel. So it's the first episode. Airports are literally called Aeroprotos and I guess that fits into the Western and the Mexican side of it. The actors were absolutely fantastic and Spike as a character he seems certainly at the moment absolutely fearless and what we do know is that the syndicate which in this scenario is the Black Cowboys, I, I mean 
black wearing cowards, i.e. the villains, they clearly really, really want his head. I'm honestly looking forward to having an evening or two where I can just sit down and just like a rocket train go through all of these. I'm, I'm absolutely loving what I've seen. Partly because of what else I'm watching at the moment. Cowboy Bebop is one of the only things that I can watch whilst I'm cooking and doing the washing up. I think I just finished episode five of this. It's great. It's really, really funny. I think episode five is one of my favourite ones. A lot of humour in there, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really good watch. It's quirky, and it definitely won't be for everyone, but if any of those genres that we've mentioned... <laughs> and you've got a lot to choose from. Any, any one of those genres. <laughs> yeah, then I think you'll find something enjoyable in it. And they are great performances and I think it's really well made. So yeah, big thumbs up for Cowboy Bebop. The three shows that I mentioned last week that I was looking forward to, I want to start with True Story, which is actually the one that I thought I was going to enjoy the least. But I started watching this on Saturday evening and I finished watching it on Sunday. I burned through the six, seven episodes that there are. They are quite short episodes. They are, they're all about half an hour. 40 minutes long but it was really gripping I was into it from the beginning Kevin Hart Wesley Snipes both excellent in this Kevin Hart is the successful comedian and Wesley Snipes is his unsuccessful brother a lot of sibling rivalry that is in here and a lot of that success and, and lack of success and the value that is placed on those things anyway they go out for a night and something happens and then each episode after that ends on a twist in the story or a cliffhanger that just keeps you wanting more of it. Supporting cast are really great. You've got Billy Zane in there. You've got Theo Rossi playing a super fan of Kid, who is the Kevin Hart comedian character. Theo Rossi played a villain in the Luke Cage Netflix show and he's also in Sons of Anarchy. Really brilliant in this. And there was one episode that was titled We Should Be Together Too, which I'm pretty sure is a line in... Eminem Stan. Yeah. It's really great. There was one twist I saw coming from early on, but the way that it was done and the fallout from that afterwards to the end of the series was just superb. True Story is a big, strong, hard recommend from me. Hellbound, I'm now on episode five. I've got about an episode and a half left to go to the end. This is the South Korean show where messengers arrive to tell people that they have a certain amount of time left to live and that they will then be taken to hell. And at that appointed time, three big monsters come down and fairly brutally destroy them. That all happens within the first five minutes. There's no spoilers. It's really interesting. There's definitely links with leftovers and that it explores belief systems and loss and grief, how these people get selected. There's a religious group, the New Truth, that claim that it's God's will. The series is divided into two sets of three episodes. So the first three episodes deals with this detective and this lawyer and this character who's had the decree from this messenger that they're going to die. And the New Truth want to broadcast this to encourage people to obey God's will and to stop sinning. And the second set of three episodes deals with this TV producer and a personal situation that he's going through. And the lawyer character follows through the whole thing. It is brutal, it's pretty gruesome, but I am really enjoying it. Am I gonna need an episode of Shit's Creek after one of these? <laughs> Absolutely, definitely. Okay, good to know. <laughs> Something that is a lot of fun is Hawkeye. I'm looking forward to this. So the first two episodes are out, and I previewed this last week, but I got it completely wrong. It's Kate Bishop's story. Hayley Stanfield takes centre stage in these first two episodes and we follow her story. She's a millionaire's daughter who sees Hawkeye at the Battle of New York, which is from one of the Avengers movies, and is inspired by that moment to learn how to fight and how to shoot a bow and arrow and do all sorts of other cool things. So she sorted the Robin to his Batman. Yeah, there's loads of great things in it. The musical, Rogers the Musical, the excerpt from that is just superb. Really, really good fun. You've got Tony Dalton from Better Call Saul, who plays Lalo Salamanca. You've also got Simon Callow popping up in there, who popped down to the space to see his show fairly recently. The whole thing is festive and it's fun. It hasn't quite hit the funny that a lot of the other Marvel stuff has done. I'm hoping there's going to be a lot more funny in the next four episodes. Big thumbs up for Hawkeye as well. Hayley Stanfield and Jeremy Renner have really good chemistry. You're having a grand old time, Adam. Loving it at the moment. I haven't <laughs> even mentioned Dope Sick and Dexter. 
which is still ongoing and I'm still really enjoying. Talk about Dope Sick when Damien's on. Shall we look at the BBC Culture 100 list? Yeah. Moving through it now, we're up to from 51 to 60. So 51 is Small Acts, which is the 2020 series. It's an anthology of stories capturing the experiences of London's West Indian community between 1969 and 1982. 52 is This Is England, 86, 88 and 90, the Shane Meadows spin-off TV series from the This Is England movie. 53, Call My Agent, a French comedy drama about a talent agency. 54, Happy Valley, British crime drama. 55, The Shield, no explanation needed. 56, The Big Band Theory. 57, The Young Pope, with Jude Law and Diane Keaton. 58, Dark, which is a German sci-fi thriller. 59, The Underground Railroad, already discussed at length on this podcast. And number 60, House of Cards. Ooh, I'd forgotten about House of Cards. The ones that I have watched, Happy Valley is just amazing. Sarah Lancashire is amazing in it. And I'm very glad it's in the top 100. I'm a huge Big Bang Theory fan, so I take absolute offence at the thumbs down. <laughs> the uh, thumbs, plural, that Grace demonstrated when that was read out. But I'm a nerd. I love Star Wars and Marvel and everything that the characters love. But also there's so much heart to all of those characters. And I absolutely rank it alongside Friends and How I Met Your Mother and all of those where you just fall in love with a with a friendship group, which I think is very personal to our generation that are less so um, <laughs> unlike you, Adam, married with kids. There's a lot of us where our friends are very much our family. I'm not saying that's not the case for you, Adam. I think for a lot of people it is, and I think that's why those series have been such a huge success. And House of Cards, it made real inroads. I mean, the whole talking directly to the camera and they kind of made that way of storytelling and breaking the televisual fourth wall very possible. And Spacey was amazing in it, whatever your views are of him as a person. Yeah, unfortunately, the last series, they did their best. And Robin White is amazing. She really is a fantastic actress. But I'm not sure that the writing and directing did her justice. I think Robin Wright's incredible. I think it, it deserves a place for sure. I, I think the first two series are really, really great. I watched a couple of small acts, really liked it. I really like anthology series every so often. Like if you don't feel like you have the bandwidth to dive into a big, big, big series, those kind of anthology series are so great. This is England, I think is one of the greatest British dramas ever created. It's just heartbreaking and funny. And Vicky McClurg rising out of that is just a gift. And I, I think it's outstanding. And I, I think the way that Shane Meadows brings in improvisation into his work with his cast can make the dialogue so exciting. Obviously, after that very moving description of Big Bang Theory, Neil, I don't like <laughs> can be mean about it now. <laughs> It's not my jam, but I, I like that you're happy. Call my agent. I started that. I finished season one. I got part of the way through season two and I just stopped. But I know so many people who loved it. I couldn't quite get on with it. Not sure why. Oh, and then Happy Valley. Oh my gosh. I could talk about Happy Valley for an hour, but I won't because that would be too much. It's one of the best things I've seen on British telly. It was one of those things that keeps me writing is thinking about that series. It's just outstanding. And as you say, Neil, Sarah Lancashire in that grade A performance. And actually, I don't know if you two have seen Mayor of Easttown. It is very similar to Happy Valley in its structure and its characters, I think. Well, clearly, Happy Valley is the one that needs to go on my watch list because I've never seen it before. So given what you've just said about that show, I have watched Mayor of Easttown and really, really enjoyed it. It's like our British Mayor of Easttown, I'd say, in a very, <laughs> that's a very blunt way of putting it. Also, season three is coming of Happy Valley. I don't know when, which is incredibly useful for the listeners, but it's coming and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> so the one I wanted to talk about that you haven't mentioned is The Shield which I watched a long while ago now. This is the corrupt police officers in America. So you've got Michael Chiklis and, and Walton Goggins and a really ex brilliant first episode. It's genius. It's really, really great. You've got some incredible guest stars in different seasons of it. So Glenn Close, 
Forrest Whitaker's in it. Laurie Holden, who then played Andrea in Walking Dead. It's a shaky cam stuff going on. I really loved it. And the Underground Railroad, we, we have talked about this previously on the podcast. It's really, I think, was underserved by the Emmys, other than the fact that it got nominated, because it really, I think, is an exceptional piece of TV making. I refer you to our previous podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'll back you up there, Adam. It's absolutely stunning TV. It's another one that's quite brutal in the first couple of episodes, and there are elements of brutality throughout the whole show. The sort of rewards are there. It's not an easy watch. It's a very rewarding watch, I would say, but it's not a comfortable one. You do need to be in the right headspace. I'm quite curious about the the German sci-fi thriller, Dark. It's got three seasons on Netflix. There's a bit of time travel in there, apparently. So I might pop that on my list. What are we looking forward to? What's coming up on the horizon? Christmas is coming. Did you know? So soon. We've got our tree up. I'm getting mine tomorrow. I'm also getting mine tomorrow because as of recording, it's still November. But when I wake up tomorrow, it will be December and I will be buying a Christmas tree and putting all my decorations up. So I want to make the most of those decorations and feeling festive. But really, November, Adam? It's all about the build-up in the Hemming household. The day after Boxing Day, it all comes down. (gasps) What? Savage. It's not my decree, I will hasten to add. (laughs) Speaking of Christmas, guys, there's something coming up. Uh, It's called Elves. It's on Netflix. It is essentially, how would we say, like a Danish noir thriller meets Christmas. Those are two of my favourite things. So I was quite intrigued about this. The tagline is a Christmas vacation turns into a nightmare for a teenager and her family when they discover an ancient menace that stalks their island getaway. Yes, Adam. This popped up on my Netflix, available to watch from now. And there's a really cute picture of this little elf. And I thought, oh, maybe this is something I can watch with Phoebe. (laughs) (laughs) Better just check the trailer. (laughs) I mean, I watched the trailer. I'd say it didn't give me the Christmas feels, guys. I don't know where the Christmas comes in other than the fact that there's tiny elves. Anyway, what I can work out is that this family go to this isolated community in Denmark and there's something not right. The young daughter discovers this creature, this baby elf, and they discover they're in a really deeply religious community. And then they discover they're locked in and they're working out whether they're locked into the community or whether the gates are there to protect them from the outside. It's intriguing. It feels very Stranger Things meets psychological horror meets Christmas. But I say Christmas with a small C and not much tinsel. So Rudolph doesn't make an appearance? No Rudolph, as far as I can tell, Neil, but you never know. Well, I am looking forward to Yellow Jackets, which is coming to Now TV and Sky Atlantic from Thursday of this week. This tells the story of a group of high school female soccer players who are travelling to Seattle for a national tournament in 1996 and their plane crashes deep in the wilderness and they are left to survive for 19 months so the show takes these group of teenage girls and charts their journey through the lord of the flies style journey through this wilderness for 19 months and also looks at them in 2021. So 25 years later, those girls then grown up. I mean, spoiler, I guess some of them survive the wilderness. The older character cast includes Juliette Lewis and Christina Ricci. Oh, nice. Who are both a bit bonkers. So Mm. I can imagine a bit of madness coming from them. And also Jasmine Savoy-Brown, who was in The Leftovers. Well, clearly you're waiting in anticipation for what I'm looking forward to and it is You Don't Know Me which starts Sunday the 5th of December on BBC iPlayer. It's a thriller. It's also by the guy behind Vigil which we covered a lot on our podcast which was really really enjoyable but it's basically about a Londoner called Hero. He's accused of murdering a young boy and there's tons of evidence from blood under his fingernails, 
firearms, residue on his skin, and they all point overwhelmingly towards his guilt of doing this. However, he is absolutely adamant that he did not do it. This basically comes down to whether the jury agrees with him or not. He attempts to argue that the murder is linked to a young woman who he first met on a bus a couple of years ago, and then he became romantically involved with her, and then she suddenly went missing. I'm definitely going to watch. It has a feel of 12 Angry Men about it. Yeah. It's based on a book by Imran Mahmood, who's a criminal defence barrister. He doesn't love a courtroom-based drama. I'm looking forward to this one as well. I think it should be good. When is it on, Neil, did you say? The first episode is what we will refer to as this coming Sunday at time of recording. So that's the 5th of December, Sunday evening. I think it's nine o'clock. That's when they normally are. So maybe by the time you listen to this, the first episode's already come out, but it will be then on every Sunday after that. I'll get my editing skates on and make sure we get this <laughs> episode out before the, before it airs. Fab, anything else that you're looking forward to? Christmas! <laughs> what could people do if they wanted to let us know what they were looking forward to, or if they had any thoughts on the comments we've made on Succession, or any other TV shows that they're enjoying, or any reactions to our comments on the BBC Culture 100 list? What could they do? Tell us the socials, Grace. You can follow us and chat to us on Twitter and Instagram at TVDNAPod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search TV Space DNA. And you can email us, yay, TVDNAPod at gmail.com. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a pal. What she said. <laughs> Join us next week when we'll be talking about the penultimate episode of season three of Succession in the company of Mr. Damien Cooper. And we'll be continuing our journey down the BBC Culture's 100 list of the greatest shows of the 21st century. We'll be talking about what we've been watching and what we're looking forward to. And we'll also maybe drop some news about what to expect from TV DNA once Succession is over. That'll be news to me. I can't wait. I can't wait. Neither can I. Bye. Bye. Bye, paper people. Can you just give me a second to find a quote from Macbeth? Because I think this is, um, sorry, such a, such, such a theatre. It says like the theatre TV podcast. Sorry, just bear with me. I've just got to find a quote from Macbeth. <laughs> I've delivered this. I've played Macbeth three times. I really should have this on the tip of my tongue, but it's not. So, so sorry. If I'd have thought about it in advance, I'd have prepped this. You can pause the recording if you want. Huh? I can pause the recording. If it if it helps with the edit. The peak of it all. I'm just gonna try and wait for Margot to stop pacing. He's polling close to polling, polling. How do I say that? Polling. It's, it's not polling, it's polling. Polling. I think I am now out of alcohol. That's sad. Sad. Well, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. He's coming out with all of it today. <laughs> If you fancy some real bleakness, they, they, I think they did a This Is England, they showed one around Christmas, which is like This Is England Does Christmas, which you can imagine was bleak. And me and my dad watched it and we were like, you know what, actually a bit of bleakness on Christmas Day isn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're on mute, Adam. I know. Uh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's late. It's late, yeah. Who wants to take us out? Plus <laughs> You wanted a yay then. Yeah, give me a yay. Give me okay. a yay. Yay! yay! <laughs>